Welcome to the Photography Opinion Podcast. We discuss all things photo, video, and camera related. I'm Ben Lucas. And I'm Stuart Marlantis. And this is Photo Op. Welcome and thanks for joining us on Photo Op today. As we teased in our last episode, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome, something that we both uh, have experienced uh, many times uh, in our careers. And uh, we're hopefully going to help break it down for you and give you some ways of looking at it and dealing with it that uh, might be able to help you in your own lives. So uh, what exactly is imposter syndrome, Ben? Yes. So if you listen to our last episode, we defined it pretty clearly. So I'm going to repeat that definition right now for you. Mm. So when you are doing a thing, in this case, photography, when you start learning, your skill outstrips your taste. So you take a picture and you think it's awesome. You're like, wow, that's such a great photo. I'm so great. But then once you start learning more about it, you get more taste faster than you increase your skill. You know what it is that you would like to do and your skill is not there that you can accomplish that thing yet. Mm -hmm. So there is this gap as you're growing between what you would like your work to look like and what it actually does. And that gap is where imposter syndrome lies. So when you are growing you will constantly be learning more and be refining your taste. And even though you are growing your skill, your taste is always just a little bit further out of reach. And so no matter how good you get, you think you're not good enough because your taste is outstripping your skill. So that is basically imposter syndrome. So we have all experienced this um, and we've done a little bit of research for this episode and we've got uh, some some kind of more concrete definitions for you that we're going to be going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this episode is just kind of a, a chat. There's no real answers here, but uh, we're going to talk about our experiences with it and things that have helped us. And hopefully we help you at home. Definitely. Yeah, we've got a good breakdown today about... Uh kind of different versions of imposter syndrome and um and we were going to share some examples with that so it's going to be a little bit more loose a little bit more of a chat today uh, a little bit more of a kind of a story time almost (laughs) and discussion uh but we should be able to uh, help you out at the end of it uh so one of the things uh when i was researching this episode that i did want to point out uh someone had this really good post that said i don't have imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. so having imposter syndrome and feeling like you're not good enough, that is not just being humble and open to other people's ideas. That Mm. is not having this desire to grow. Those are positive traits that you should keep and that should be cultivated and grow with you. Imposter syndrome is not just, oh darn, I did a great job, but you know what? I'm going to do even better next time. It is actually something that if, if, this feels like it holds you back. Mm-hmm. You feel like I can't do that because I'm not good enough. Yeah. It's not just this like, oh shoot, this little personality quirk. It is something that really um, can hurt you and your career and has all these negative side effects to it. Um, so that's, that's also kind of the flip side of this are you can feel self-doubt. We all do. Mm-hmm. Um one of, one of my favorite uh, quotes 
is uh, about fear. Um, being uh, fear is not the what is it? Fear is not being afraid, but it is having a mastery over it and being able to do the thing you're afraid of anyway. Um, so, so that's kind of like when it holds you back, that is imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about how, how you can stop, how, how you can stop that from holding you back. So definitely. Yeah. That was a little rambly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's a it's a rambly day. It's a rambly topic, but yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome really when it's when it's keeping you from doing good work, when it's keeping you from having um, that output uh, that you need um, to progress in your career. That's when it's that's when imposter syndrome imposter syndrome is really real and really affecting you. It's not just uh, when you say, "Oh, well, um, you know, I, I." It's it's not that desire to grow. It's not oh, I can do better increasingly over time. It's a, it's that you're not doing because you're worried that you're not good enough right now. Um, in, in some of our research for this, we found uh, a really interesting breakdown of kind of different types or different aspects of imposter syndrome by a Dr. Valerie Young. Um, these five types are perfectionist, expert, natural genius, soloist, and superman. And uh, we're going to break those down, what they are, and uh, give some examples um, for them so that you can uh, help think about imposter syndrome yourself and how these aspects could apply to you. And then we'll, uh, how we can move past them going forward. The other thing is you might have a little bit of everything. You just might oh, yeah, be more yeah. heavily towards one. I feel like I'm a perfectionist and I feel like you might be an expert. Uh, yeah, I, I would say like, <laughs> like Superman probably is like a lower one for me, but expert and probably soloist are much higher. We've just um, lost everyone at home because we haven't defined any. Yeah, we haven't yet. defined them, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that. But yes, uh, you'll probably find um, at least examples of all of these in your life, but you'll likely trend toward one or a couple of them more than the others. Um, so let's get started. Perfectionist. Yeah. Uh, what so is perfectionist? Perfectionist is that when everything needs to be perfect, right? Mm. And we've. We've all seen people uh, self... It's like when people say that they're OCD, but they're not actually have crippling OCD. They're mm -hmm. just detail-oriented. Um, those are the types of people that are perfectionists. Um, but in this case, for imposter syndrome, in perfectionist is that if you have 100 tasks, you have 100 goals, and you complete 99 of them, you feel like a failure because you mm -hmm. didn't get that last one versus a 99% on a test. That's an A plus, but you don't feel like an A plus. You feel like an F because you said, I'm going to do a hundred and you didn't. Yeah. You have impossibly high standards for yourself. So high that you can't realistically achieve them the vast majority of the time. If ever. my, my to-do list has roughly 20 to 30 things on it that, I, I know I can't do all of those, but darn it, that doesn't stop me from trying. Mm. Uh, so I definitely kind of fall into that camp. Mm. Um, one of the things that I specifically about to-do list that I found that helps is, one, you got to stop that and be more realistic about how long things actually take you and what you can do. You mm. only have so long. Um, but if, uh, what was it? Tim Ferriss, I think, he had a thing where right on a post-it note, so don't put your to-do list on a computer or a notepad or a sheet of paper. Do it on a post-it note. When you run out of space on that post-it note, you're done. That's all you can get done today. <laughs> 
that it's a great. I it's like three uh, to five things. Yeah, I haven't that, heard that before, but that's a great. That's it. A great way of looking at it. Yeah, you can only you can only do so much, and if you're uh, if you have an an infinite list, it's only going to grow and grow and grow and get so big that you're like, why even bother? Um, I can't accomplish all that. <laughs> when uh, you should just focus on little blocks at a time. So, yeah, perfectionism is <clears throat> certainly something that we both deal with um i would say uh you know like we said earlier I, I tend towards some of the other ones more than this one but um there was a project i was working on where i was preserving a building uh, actually a, a nuclear reactor building um digitally and uh this was a particularly difficult one for me there was a lot of people i was trying to impress and i had extremely high standards for <clears throat> the project in general um, so I worked and worked and worked and spent a ton of time on really marginal improvements uh, to kind of the base uh, the base project I was doing um, that really nobody noticed other than me. And I spent way more time and energy and a lot more stress on this um, on this kind of perfection than really I should have because nobody noticed that at the end of the day. Nobody noticed the the little uh, stitching issues or some of the slightly off lighting and stuff like that. It was all, it, it, everybody was just blown away by just the fact that it was preserved digitally in this really high quality thing. And so um, although that didn't ultimately prevent the project from happening, it certainly affected my life personally and my stress level in a negative way. There was lots of other things I could have been doing other than chasing after that 1% extra perfection that really didn't matter grand scheme. Um, and so sometimes, although we talk about imposter syndrome as uh, paralyzing you potentially and, and at worst keeping you from doing work. Sometimes it's not that the work doesn't get done. It's that your mental state around the work isn't good or your stress load is increased way more than it really needs to be. Um, and other things are sacrificed as a result. So that's kind of an example of that of um, yes, the work was done, but uh, kind of at what personal cost <laughs> it's true uh, yeah it can lots of things can go that way with perfectionism and really you being the person making that work um you're gonna see all the little flaws and all the little details other people don't see that this is a really common thing like in performance arts for example that that you you think oh i screwed up i I uh, I said that line wrong. I, I you missed a step was, on a stage and no one yeah I, I missed a step or I was slightly flat on that note or whatever. Nobody else notices that other than you. So you're in the middle of it. You see all the flaws. You are kind of um, the expert as to all of the little things going on that go slightly awry. But nobody else see that. They are not experts in your domain and. Um, as a result, you should not worry about those little teeny, you know, 1% things. Focus on the 99% that you have succeeded in. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I was I was actually watching a Hamilton interview um, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. And one of the things that he said is when he, he was uh, the part for a little while and then he stepped away from it and then he came back when they went to actually do the filming for it. Mm -hmm. And he was watching it beforehand and thinking like, I remember that one. I remember that. Oh, I don't remember that one at all. And then he was asked like, well, what happens if you get up on stage and you forget a line and you say it wrong i i love his answer he's said oh that's a rewrite <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm the i'm the one who wrote it originally so if i get it wrong it's a rewrite it's fine that's I, great. I just i just absolutely loved that 
so much because I know how that manifests for me is mm-hmm. when I'm working on a Photoshop project. I know we want every we want to zoom in to like a thousand percent and we want to make sure everything's pixel perfect, mm-hmm. but then it'll get printed as like an eight by ten and no one will ever notice. Mm-hmm. So sometimes perfectionism, like you mentioned, is not that something won't get done, mm-hmm. but it's that it gets takes ten times as long as it needs to. Yep. Yep. And or just that, adding level. the extra workload. Um, why would you spend 40 hours editing a wedding when you can finish in a single day? It took me so long to finally learn that and be able to let go of some of that and realize these are the steps that I need to take to get the absolute best product for my couple. And these are the things I need to let go of because it's too much for me and no Mm -hmm. one notices. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on the, uh, the rewrite, uh, thing, um, improvisation does not mean that things aren't perfect you should look at as at improvisation as a skill that you should build and take pride in and that if you improvise in something that's a success that is taking a situation that went away you didn't expect and pulling something new and and interesting out of it so um, improvisation is not a failure that's not a failure state that is a success state Um, and you can be you can chase perfection although as we've said not too much and still improvise along the way that's just part of the process um i i i do want to get on with the rest of this list but Mm -hmm. i think the the Mm -hmm. last thing that's really helpful for someone who's a perfectionist Mm -hmm. uh is uh good done is better than perfect uh, it, the other thing, <laughs> the other, the other way I've heard that stated is uh, perfect is the enemy of good mm-hmm. where, where chasing that it, it, it'll never actually happen. So yep. you just have to have to know when, when to put the pen down, you're, yeah. you're done now. Or if not putting the pen down, then um, getting started in the first place, setting things up to do a project. Whoa. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that can be hugely uh, a huge roadblock and um putting together the knowledge or skills to accomplish something um can certainly be the enemy of a good prod project or a good uh, project at all in the first place if you are so focused on that initial learning and skill building experience and that is where the expert comes in um so the expert is expert of the segue yeah, <laughs> trying. I'm trying my best. <laughs> so the expert basically is you um, feel like you need to know and be able to do all of the things. And if you can't do it, then you're a failure and you and oftentimes you shouldn't even try in the first place. And this is probably my number one or very close to number one <laughs> worst quality in imposter syndrome is I, I feel like I have to know how to do everything and um there are countless personal projects that i have not done that i should have done that would feel so great to have done that i never did and to this day still don't do because i feel like well i don't quite have everything exactly how i want it to be i don't quite know all the things i don't quite have all the skills um and to some degree i don't quite have all the gear that's a really bad one with me (laughs) 
something that I, I don't fall into this one as much because mm. I had someone in my life that really helps change my perspective on this. So huge shout out to my high school physics teacher, Mr. McIntyre. Um, nice. But one thing that he kind of instilled in me when I was taking his class, um, he was not a physics teacher. So he was kind of new to the subject. He was a science teacher, but he didn't specialize in physics. Mm -hmm. So when he was going through the textbook and coming up with the test for us, a perfectly valid answer when you asked him something was, I don't know, let's figure it out. And just having, having the confidence to say that, I don't know, let's figure it out. That, that is huge, especially coming from a teacher. So, um, one thing I loved about his tests is he would just make up random numbers and he would take the test along with us. And so even <laughs> though his was the answer key, if you had, if you had good reasons, he was open and receptive to that. So being able to admit that you don't know everything and that's okay. Huge. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the experts really, really fail because they feel like if they say the words, I don't know that everyone will find them out mm. where that's not the case. Cause no one can know everything. Well, you can try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stuart. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, you really, um, yeah, it, it is. It, again, it's something I struggle with so much, but it is okay to not know things. It is okay to be a your knowledge to be a work in progress and really you're always even if you try to know everything you're always not going to know something because new things are happening constantly new technologies are coming out new ways of shooting photos and videos new ways of doing business new ways of doing all sorts of stuff and you're never going to know every aspect of your particular domain of expertise and the fact that you know so much more than most people that you know enough that your knowledge can lead to somebody paying you to apply it um that's huge you're already ahead of of the vast majority of people on the planet so you are an expert in your domain and um similar to perfectionism you only you really see the things that you don't know unless somebody you know asks you something and you honestly don't know yeah. but those are going to be more with peers right like there should be more of a level of understanding in that kind of case because you're with people that can ask those very specific questions and reveal that potential lack of knowledge but in that case like who cares right everybody has stuff that they don't know i'm sure there are qu questions you could ask that person that they don't know um but really you you are the person who's going to see those gaps in your knowledge um most and your clients are not going to um and so you're still an expert you're still an expert you cannot know things and still be an expert you don't have to know there everything. there are a lot of people that make a lot of good money doing consulting mm -hmm. and they don't know anything about the business they're consulting for they just no. walk in and ask obvious questions yeah. <laughs> and they're experts so mm -hmm. there you go um all right the next category is the natural genius mm -hmm. so this is a uh i feel like a, a surprisingly common one with a lot of people that um that you're labeled as this starts usually as a child where you're labeled as gifted or smart. Um, you're really rewarded for being smart 
and you're not rewarded for effort as much. Um, and so you, you kind of feel like everything you, you do, you need to be, um, you need to be this natural genius. You need to be, you need to be gifted in it right away, right from the outset. And there could be no learning or getting up to speed or building skills that everything has to be easy right from the get-go and i'm not necessarily blaming that entirely on how people are raised um but i think that's a common way that it can be reinforced early on is when you're when you're raised that way it's a really common thing in our school systems and with a lot of parents that they really praise their kids for being gifted and not for their effort yeah for sure when that i actually fall into that category uh, skipped kindergarten as and was in like the honors program starting in second grade all the mm-hmm. way through high school. Um, I'm in college and all my friends are inviting me out and I'm like, sorry, I can't go. I'm 17. <laughs> so uh, no, I totally understand that. Kind kind of the the short summary of that is mm-hmm. the natural genius feels like they failed if they don't immediately succeed. If they yep. actually have to try or put in effort, it's like, wow, this maybe I'm not good enough for that. And it kind of uh, it short circuits you in a way that you you give up before you try because mm-hmm. you feel like, well, I'm if I if I was good enough at this, I would have already done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the easy answer to that is that while we are all talented and kind of. Our, our starting stats are different, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, but we're all beginners at some point. We mm-hmm. all start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I like to say about photography is your first 10,000 photos are all going to suck. Just mm-hmm. all of them. So practice. Get that out of the way. Get those 10,000 garbage photos out of your system and and work through it. Get better. Start learning the craft and really you know, focus on it. Um the the I feel like the natural genius is uh, the exact opposite of the perfectionist, mm-hmm. which is funny because those are the two that I have. Um, <laughs> but but the natural genius, uh, the perfectionist will just work, 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 work on it. And the natural genius is like, well, if, if I'm not any good at it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to work this hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is another kind of way it manifests. It doesn't make it any less real. Mm-hmm. Um uh, another way to put it is if you're not working, then you're not learning and you're not improving, right? If everything is easy, then there is no progress. So so I, I feel like you need to kind of reorient your your thinking. I mean, it would certainly be nice if everything was easy. That would be oh, yeah. great. <laughs> but um, but that would mean that you've topped out, that you you know everything and that everything is – all of your skills are perfect, which – is not realistic will not happen and and really you're not progressing at all if you've gotten to that point then you're not making any progress so work should not be looked at as a failure it should be looked at as part of the process part of your development um and part of your skill building and uh certainly if you're working way too much on something there might be something wrong but in general if you are if you're working that is progress and that is something to be celebrated not something to um, to worry about or think is a failure. Um, I think I talked about this in the uh, school episode that we did. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was in college, um, I tapped out really quickly on kind of what my professors expected of me. Not necessarily what they had to give me, 
but uh, because I was so far ahead, um, I, I don't know what it was, but the moment I picked up a camera, literally, I bought my first camera in college for that class, I took it out later that day and shot my assignment, and then they're like, wow, this is the guy everyone in class needs to be like, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, I bought this from Costco, <laughs> I, what? Um, I read the manual and I started clicking it stuff. So there was some natural talent and gift with, with eye and composition and art because I did have a lot of art history classes before that. But, um, because I was so far above kind of the photo 101 expectation, they just looked at me and said, your stuff's good. We're not giving you any feedback. And to me, that was devastating because I wanted to get better and I saw all of these professionals i saw dave hale and annie Leibowitz and all of these people that i wanted my work to be more like them and it wasn't even close but i wasn't getting the feedback that i needed to help get me there yeah so that's that yeah. really is is natural genius um it it's uh especially depending on how you're raised and how your schooling was it is a very easy one to fall into um but uh, uh hopefully it's uh potentially a little bit of an easier one to get out of you just need to rethink about what work actually means yes uh so the next one is the soloist uh the soloist is someone who feels like they have to do everything by themselves and if they have to ask for help that makes them a failure yeah this is a particularly bad one with me this is uh maybe not as not quite equal to expert but it's up there it's probably <laughs> Uh, probably the second highest behind expert. Um, this one is a huge problem in that I, I I feel like a lot of times with projects I can't trust anybody other than myself. Um, that I don't I my expectations for um, for other people's work are low, which is not kind. So it's you not... also did group projects by yourself? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so this, yeah, this is another one that re- now that you point that out, that really could fall into how was your education and upbringing? Like, did you have a lot of crappy group projects? Uh, you probably will tend to, to be a soloist if that was the case. Um, but yeah, so uh, this is the group project one. This is the guy that, that pulls the, or, or girl or person in general who pulls the whole team, uh, the whole group, um, through their singular effort because they feel like everybody else is either not doing enough or um, is not up to their standards. Um, very bad one with me. Um, I don't have a lot of... Uh, I don't have a lot of, you know, group media production projects where this really reared its head because oftentimes either I'm doing it entirely myself or I'm forced to work with a group and I just have to deal with it. Um, but one of the things that I do a lot is is scuba diving and I increasingly shoot a lot of stuff um, underwater, mostly for fun at this point. And uh, this is a particularly bad one with that. I feel like I have to be super self-reliant and when you're diving, especially when you're going deep and you're in um you know potentially lightly life-threatening situations uh <laughs> putting being a soloist can be really uh, an issue like you're diving is safest when you're diving at least in pairs or as a team when you can rely on other people to back you up and help you if there are any issues and um you can get really stuck thinking oh well if something's taking long like if i can't undo this uh this clip off of my 
rig, then I should just keep trying and keep doing it and keep wasting tons of time and and air and literally your lifeline messing with that because you don't want to seem like the guy who's, uh, whose gear is screwed up or who isn't up to standard or who isn't um, whose skills aren't very good. And this has been pointed out to me, actually, uh, more than once, that I often will spend more time doing something like that so that I can do it myself than just saying, hey, could you uh, come unclip this for me? And instead it takes like 10 seconds. Um, and that's something I really need to work on getting out of. It is not helpful. It is not useful. And um, in a case like that, it is l- really a huge waste of everybody's time and money and literal breathing air. <laughs> so uh, yeah, soloist is not a good one. It's one that I really struggle with. I have a... I have a what mm. I think is a really good tip. If mm-hmm. you, if you feel like you're in the soloist category, mm. go watch your favorite movie. Look at the credits. Yeah. Here's the thing: you can be the best director in the world, but there are going to be actors and cinematographers and grip, and there's that whole casting crew and special effects. If you look at the digital special effects team, there are hundreds of people that work on these blockbuster movies. Because the thing is, yeah, maybe you are excellent at rotoscoping, but terrible as a colorist. Well, guess what? Those are two completely different jobs by two completely different people. You don't do everything by yourself. Um, When you are a small-time photographer and you're not on a large movie set, it can feel crippling. Because you have to wear all those hats. You have to do everything. You feel like you have to do everything by yourself. I am my web designer, and I'm my um, own media manager, and when I fall behind on my social media posts, I feel bad about that. I'm my own shooter, I'm my own production uh, director, I'm my own assistant a lot of the times, (laughs) Um, I'm my own editor, I'm my own salesperson. There are all these different things that I... Part of it is out of necessity of I am just one guy who's running a business. But if you learn there are things that you're not good at or that you don't like doing, Mm -hmm. you can outsource that. You can find an editor so that you can just shoot the work and then let someone else finish it for you. You can find a salesperson if that's not something you're good at or something that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's something I do myself because my clients hire me for me. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to the sales, I have a very low pressure sales. Um, I basically just ask them, imagine your ideal situation. What are the things that you need? And then let me help you pick the photos for those things. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of fill it up and they look at it and go, Oh, I'm spending a lot. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't say like, Hey, I've got a deal for you by now in the next 10 minutes. Um, so they, they, they feel comfortable with me that I'm going to hold their hand through the whole process. Uh, but there, you know, I need help. There was, uh, several weddings that actually you've helped me with. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that comes to mind is I had a bride who wanted to basically live stream the, uh, shooting session where right after I took a photo, it showed up on a projector. 
So not only did every photo for an hour have to be absolutely perfect because there were 200 people looking over my shoulder at any bad photos I might take, but I needed someone to be able to run the tech for me. And that was something that I just literally could not do myself. So you were one of the two assistants helping me that day. Mm -hmm. Um, It is okay to ask for help. It is okay to not be able to wear every hat and do everything all the time. Yeah, this is a tricky one because it's so reinforced, uh, I feel like, in in Western society and media. I mean, soloists are so celebrated. I mean, whether it's in in characters, um, you know, in in films, or whether it's success stories like like, uh, the solo uh, video game developer who did everything themselves, art, music, all the programming. Like the Stardew Valley guy. Yeah, like the Stardew Valley (laughs) guy uh, who's actually local to the Pacific Northwest, so that's kind of cool. Those stories are really celebrated, but they're only celebrated because those are the success stories, right? Like, there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds hundreds of thousands of examples of people who tried to do that and failed or who are still super successful, but they're successful in a group. They're part of a development team in the case of, of video games. And I mean, you can't look at, you can't look at a team developed game and look at a solo developed game and say, Oh, well the solo solo developed game is so much better purely from the fact that it was a single person. It just that he was just able to do that in his life, in the particular situations that presented himself, uh, presented themselves to him. And that's just how it, how it worked out. And he happened to be a success. Um, I feel like those people are successful despite not asking for help. Oh yeah. And it took way longer, right? So Stardew Valley took something like, um, I think at least five years full, um, actually greater than full-time development with one person. Um, now that is hugely impressive and I'm not, you know, down, uh, downplaying or no, that guy's down great that and he made a great he's, product, he's great. but it would have been faster. Yeah. You could probably do it in a year with a team. Right. So, um, so the, really the solos thing, we celebrate a ton, but we celebrate it without really looking at what it takes or the humongous odds that have to be overcome to be a soloist. And um, it is far more efficient. It is far better for everyone, for you, um, for anybody that you work with to not be a soloist. It's okay to ask for help. Uh, so I think that brings us to our, our the last mm-hmm. um, imposter syndrome category, which is the Superman or Superwoman, Superperson. <laughs> so what is, what is that one? Uh, th- this one is basically the, the workaholic. Um, like you... You feel like you derive validation from working constantly all the time, and it's not necessarily your output um, or the quality of of your output that you're celebrating. It's just the fact that you're constantly working, and that's a really dangerous one to fall into. I I think this is probably the one that I... I am affected by the least because I'm naturally lazy, <laughs> but, but you find really brilliant ways to automate almost everything in your life. Yeah. So, it makes me a little jealous. Uh, so yeah, automation is, is kind of, uh, my thing. So I tried to, uh, I think I stay away from super, uh, super person, uh, quite a bit. That being said, um, one of the aspects of the super person is, um, your, uh, comparing your work to your amount of work to other people's work. So like you might look at somebody else who's working less than you and think um, that they are, that they're worse or 
um, that uh, that their work their output must be worse in comparison to yours because they're not working as much as you are. But often it's a question of um, how valuable is the time that you're putting in and uh, what how efficient are you? Like what what output are you getting per hour of work? And if you're a super person, oftentimes you're just working for its own sake. Um, working to show everybody how much you can work and that you work more than everybody else, even if uh, your output is uh, not actually that good in comparison. Yeah, the the first thing that came to mind is uh, somebody that we know who worked hours and hours and hours for something that would have taken you about 10 seconds because you know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is, uh, this is an unfortunate thing. Uh, a lot of times... Um, People are, are in this category because they're um, they don't have the the knowledge or skill that would make their jobs a lot easier. And instead of uh, doing a little bit of education, they just keep working at it, and it takes ten times as long. Like let's say it took ten hours to do something, it took it would take an hour for somebody who is an expert, or maybe it would take two hours for somebody who wasn't an expert. But they sent it. They spent an hour figuring out the best way to do it first. So um, you're you know, taking five times as long or more because you're, you feel like you have to just work and not um, do a little bit of prep work first. As we said, don't do too much prep work or you fall into expert or perfectionist. Um, But a little bit is okay. Um, This is very common in in office environments too, that uh, people feel like the best way to look, to get ahead or to look like they're a really good employee is to work late, work later than everybody else. Um, And unfortunately that's often rewarded, but I feel like, I feel like, maybe we're slowly progressing to the point where people are looking at output more than they're looking at work hours, especially with all this coronavirus stuff going on. Um, so yeah, if you're in an office environment, um, the the best deal is not necessarily to stay super late. Um, I actually hear that this is a problem um, particularly bad in, in places like Japan, where um, it's more of a collectivist society where people... Um, uh, feel like that's the only way to get ahead and, and often that's really awarded western it's in in western society it's not as um as much of an uh, an issue here but if it's you still take your vacation days you're seen as lazy yeah, yeah yeah so vacation days is a big one uh big part of this too uh, even though we might not do as strict a you have to stay late to get ahead um one of the common traps with a lot of companies is they have unlimited vacation policies and you think oh that's great i can take as much vacation as i want well the problem is if you take any vacation you're going to seem at lesser to the people that take none of it yeah um, and then it becomes just a really toxic work environment where everybody burns out really fast because they're uh, everybody is trying to one-up each other on how much they actually work I don't know. Being self-employed, I'd love an unlimited vacation policy. That sounds yeah. kind of nice right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but but it is a thing. It's a thing that people struggle with, and that businesses uh, it should not reward. Uh, that is so toxic. You're you're giving your employees a little bit of vacation, um, a you know, some time to decompress and get away from work is going to wait going to result in much much better output um and much more efficient output than just them staring and wasting time because they feel like their time is being wasted but that they have no other choice oh i've definitely worked in a few of those offices mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 
So those are the different types and categories of imposter syndrome. Uh, we've already talked about kind of some of the times that we have personally felt it. Um, I know that for me, there are two times that stick out in my mind as the the kind of key defining moments of I was feeling stuck and in a rut and w- with this imposter syndrome kind of weighing very heavily on me. Um, the first one was I was starting to get into doing composite work, uh, heavy editing with new backgrounds and, you know, shooting people on like a green screen type thing and putting them into new situations with all the special effects. And I was starting to do all of this stuff and my idol in that area was Dave Hill, who, if you haven't seen him, he's kind of moved away from that now, but if you look up Dave Hill's early work, he does some incredible, amazing composite work. And he was just my absolute hero for this kind of work. And I saw his stuff and I thought, man, I'm never going to be that good. What, like, kind of why bother? No one's going to ever want to pay me for this. This will never come in useful. At, like, why am I spending so much time learning this when I'm I'm not as good as he is? Um, what it took for me to get out of that rut was I was just kind of surfing the internet, and I found a video where Dave Hill did a speech at uh, B&H, just in one of their conference rooms, where he actually showed, here's my raw photo, here's the behind the scenes of like how I shot it, I was just in my driveway, I used my own garage door as a backdrop, here's how I cut it out, and then I popped him in, and here's the color correction I did to get them the match scene. And I'm watching him do all this and thinking, that's what I do. I just, I, I like, I do the exact same steps he does. The only difference is he had a vision and he just did it again and again and again and again. And what makes a bad composite versus a good composite versus just those basic skills to do it is a good composite. You just keep going. If if you stop and give up after you've only put two photos together, yeah, you've just put two photos together, but he, he puts piece after piece after piece. And none of these pieces are hard to add in. I realized, wait, that's a skill set I can absolutely do. How, how have I not known that that's all there is to it? I thought there was some magic secret that I hadn't come upon yet when it was really just like, keep at it. That was the secret. Yeah. So, so many of these, that's so applicable to, I think, pretty much all of these is you they all have ways that they'll stall your thinking or your work and really the way out of it is just to keep going and and that that at the end of the day is what is important for progress if you if you stop then there's no progress and you haven't done that thing you haven't accomplished that goal you haven't done that work um so you just need to keep going yeah, the, uh, the the second time that it really hit me was when I did my very first wedding show. Um, I w- my very first show was a complete bust. <laughs> I didn't book any weddings from it. And I just, I had seen all of these, like, creative live classes on how to do a wedding show and how they book up their entire year at the show. And I'm just like, what am I doing? I spent so much money on this and I got nothing. This is ridiculous. But when I was talking to all the other photographers near the end of the day when there weren't any couples, I learned, one, I'm one of the very few people who actually doesn't have a day job. Everyone worked in finance or Microsoft or Google or something. And so to them, they had a full schedule of weddings and it was like six for the year. 
I'm like, how is that a full slate of weddings? I'm aiming for 20. And they're like, whoa, 20? No, that sounds gross. I don't want that many weddings. And then they said, yeah, none of us have booked anything at the show today. We are not going to get it till three months from now. I just didn't know that because I had heard this one pompous New Yorker tell me over and over again, you should book 20 weddings at a show. So, um, there, there are times where, uh, like just talking about it helps so much. Mm -hmm. If you keep it to yourself and internalize, no matter what category you're in, if you internalize that imposter syndrome, then it will just continue eating at you. But just, just talking about it, everyone else is like, yeah, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally, totally. There so many, uh, possibly even the majority of people <laughs> have imposter syndrome at one point or another or right now. And you would be, if you're one of those people that, that uh, has felt these feelings and you haven't talked about it with anybody and didn't even know potentially what imposter syndrome was, um, you would be surprised at the people who seem so put together, you know, so perfect, so knowledgeable in their field. You'd be surprised at the people that that still um, struggle with imposter syndrome despite outward appearances. Um, and that's really what you should take away, I think, for yourself is um, pretty much everybody else, like like everybody else around you is going to have or be struggling or have struggled with imposter syndrome in the past, whether they could say that it was imposter syndrome or not. And you almost certainly didn't see that at the time. And that is exactly how it is with other people and yourself. Even if you're, you're struggling with imposter syndrome, other people are not seeing that. And just talking about it and recognizing it is a humongous first step at, uh, at not necessarily getting over it, but working through it. For sure. So I think the two things that I've learned, uh, kind of how imposter syndrome manifests itself and definitely how I've seen it in my own photography business. Um, the first one is that making something looking easy doesn't discount that the value that it has. Mm -hmm. So I have worked incredibly hard to get really good at doing headshots. So it feels kind of stupid easy when someone steps in front of my camera, I spend a minute with them, I get a good picture, and they're like, oh, that's it? I'm, yeah, that's it. And, and it kind of, like, part... When I first started, part of me was just, like, all I did was click a button. Why am I charging so much for this? Well, there... It, like, it's that Van Gogh quote of, it didn't take me a minute to do that drawing. It took me 30 years. It took all of the skill and learning and expertise. I have worked this hard to make it look this easy. And just because it's easy to me doesn't mean it's easy to other people. So I may, so that also falls into when people say, oh, it's so easy. I can't charge very much for that. Just because it's easy to you doesn't mean it doesn't have great value to your clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, this is actually uh, kind of follows along the uh, discussion we had on why photography is expensive. Um, there are so many reasons uh, why a service that you're providing um, has value, and um, and in this case, we're not talking about any of the you know physical expenses. It's the knowledge and the skill expense you've put in tons and tons of time to learn how to do something. 
that the vast majority of people can't do. And even though it's now easy for you because you've put in all that time, doesn't mean that now it's devalued as a result. If anything, the value has increased because your skills are so good that you can do it so quickly and so uh, well the first time. So I, I think the other thing that happens with imposter syndrome is thinking that uh, you know, basically thinking that you don't know enough or thinking that other people already know all of the things that you have to say. And in fact, they know more than you. So if you try to say or do anything, it's it's discounted because it's not new. Um, so... I, I've definitely seen this when uh, people are trying to, to like, talk. Sometimes it's overconfidence in like online chats, but when people mm. are genuinely trying to be helpful and they always minimize their own statements, mm-hmm. kind of the like, well, you probably already know this, but like, there might be this thing that's helpful. Or, well, maybe just all of those kind of key modifiers that like minimizes yourself because you feel like what you're going to say after that uh isn't actually worth hearing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i've seen that a lot too yeah that really uh, turns uh, even if people don't internalize or or don't recognize that they'll internalize that uh softening language and um feel like whatever is coming after that is less valuable and should be paid attention to less as a result um so yeah really easy one to fall into but yeah it's it's uh you know it's it's okay to to be confident in your knowledge and it's okay to be confident in what you know, but also recognize that there's stuff that you don't know. Um, and, and, uh, you shouldn't, you certainly, you certainly shouldn't undermine yourself as a result. So I think if you were to Google, you know, imposter syndrome and how to fix it, there's probably one thing that pops up. Uh, what do you think about fake it till you make it? (laughs) How do you feel about that one? Ah, Uh, I have mixed feelings on fake it till you make it. Um, yes, this is a common thing. I think that's repeated with so many, uh, in so many situations and definitely so in imposter syndrome. Um, the problem with fake it till you make it is you still feel bad the whole time, right? Like you still have that self doubt. You still have, um, you still are struggling with this, um, until you make it. And then oftentimes if you fake it until you make it and you make it, you'll say, well, uh, I, I faked it until I got here. Like I, I didn't actually earn this. I didn't actually build the knowledge or skills to get here. And now they're definitely going to find me out because now I've, I've made it and I'm, I've expected to know and be able to do all these things. So I, I would tend to say, don't fake it till you make it. I, I would say recognize your, the, the, your skills and abilities and how good they are and and recognizing that you have uh, further to go and more work to do is an okay thing um, and looking looking at uh, instead of faking it till you make it uh, you know work until you make it or or um, or learn until you make it that would be I think a better way of looking at it that that it's part of the process you're you're a continual improving person. And that's okay. You shouldn't look at it as, oh, I'm a fake person that's pretending and then I just happen to make it as a result. I think that'll result in way worse imposter syndrome, at least from my perspective. The the one time that I think the the fake it 
thing is really helpful. Uh, mm. when I'm on, when I'm out on a wedding shoot and you know, the wind blows over my light and it explodes on the concrete into a million pieces, just be like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. In my head, it's screaming, ah! yeah. but on the day of, don't worry. That's why I have a second one or don't worry. Yeah. The lighting, the lighting looks great. Anyway, we'll just, uh, use natural light and a reflector. Don't worry about it. We're, we're good. Yeah. Fake it. Well, absolutely fake it then, but you but that's not that's not faking your own skill set that is just pushing through mm-hmm. the stress so when i'm when i'm on a wedding day i i feel a little bit of that nervousness and that stress before every single wedding and i've been doing it like a decade now and that is because i feel like i'm only as good as the last thing that i shot i'm mm-hmm. only as good as today's shoot I can't rest on my laurels and say, I've shot all these weddings. I'm such a great photographer. They should be happy with whatever they get. I want to help and impress every client so badly that I'm, I am working my butt off that whole day, but I don't use that stress to let it kind of like, Oh man, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. It's too much stress. I use that stress to motivate me of like, yeah, this is this is high pressure. You need mm-hmm. you need to work. Let's get to work. Let's do it. And then all of the things that I have learned and practiced kick into high gear and then I just I get it done. Mm-hmm. So so I think that if if you're equating stress with imposter syndrome or mm-hmm. or hu- kind of humility with imposter syndrome, the thing is I am I am sometimes humble. But there are times where sometimes it might come off as cocky, but it's like, are you really good at this? Yes, I am. I'm not being cocky about that. I have worked very hard to get where I am and I'm okay. Like we talked about unapologetic mastery. I'm okay with Mm -hmm. being where I am now. Um, But yeah, using, using that stress and not equating it with, uh, I mean, it's okay to have a little bit of self-doubt, but if you can use that as fuel and motivation instead of letting it eat at you, that's a much mm. healthier and easier way to kind of dig your way out of it. Much healthier. Well, hopefully our sometimes rambling discussion today helped you think through imposter syndrome and uh, and hopefully gave you some tools to to work past it and to deal with it, to recognize it. Um, and to the apply... first step is recognizing it. Yeah, the first step is recognizing it, and then and then moving past and and using some of the, that energy, those feelings, uh, in a positive way going forward. So hopefully we helped you with that today. Um, this is kind of I think the the end of a long series of episodes now on very serious topics. And oh yeah, I we've think... been on a roll from school yeah. to money to business, <laughs> and now we got the emotional emotional feelings going on. Yeah. All the feelings. Exactly. So I'm thinking maybe uh, we do something a little bit lighter uh, next time. Yeah, we, <laughs> we are going to a have a more really fun. fun discussion next time. Uh, we're going to talk about lenses. So for oh, all those boy. conversations about, hey, what lens should I buy? Tune in next mm-hmm. time because we're going to tell you. If you have questions or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at hello at photo op show watch us on ben's youtube channel at non-creative as in om nom nom share this with a friend and you can listen to photo op anywhere podcasts are sold or downloaded because it's free